Let's cut to the chase. The world of work is changing. There is no stopping that change. Welcome to the Better Work Project, brought to you by the team at SoftEd. I am your host, David Mantica, and joining me as co-host is Andy Cooper. In this podcast, we will explore the changing world of work, what the future of work means, how it affects businesses and workers alike, and how we can create more productive and engaged workplaces. I hope you join us for the ride. Enjoy. Happy New Year, 2021, the decade of the roaring 20s, not the 1920s, but the 2020s is now starting. So let's hope this decade doesn't end like the 1920s ended, but that is a whole other story in and of itself. So welcome back to the Better Work Project. We're on episode 20. I'm still definitely preaching the fact that our legal drinking age of 21 episode will be quite the celebration, but this is episode 20. We're going to be talking about being a net exporter of talent which is a fantastic topic to start off the year. We have a wonderful guest as well, somebody that I've known for many, many years. So it's going to be fun to have him with us. Um, Certainly see him as a mentor and somebody who helped me out a great deal in the early stage of my career. So please don't hold that against him. But before we get into the swing of the podcast, let's hear from Andy and Lauren. Andy. Hey, welcome back. Happy New Year. Say hello, Miss Lauren. Happy New Year and all of that. So how long do we have to say Happy New Year for, by the way? Is it like Christmas trees? Is there a time limit? (laughs) (laughs) Andy, you're the fact checker. What is there? Is there a time limit? I don't think so. I think, but I think no later than the end of this month. I'll keep using it till at least February. And we complained about you being a little bit grinchy on the previous podcast, Dave, but that was a bit gloomy, the roaring 20s. Yeah, I know. I guess I'm carrying my grinchness over. I live in the United States, by the way. Give me one thing for living in this country I could be happy about right now. Tell you what, if you fancy a really long flight and 14 days of quarantine in a hotel, you can come and join us. Whoa, 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 wait a second here. You wouldn't even let me get on the plane. There's no foreigners to your country. You can get on the plane. Um, We just may not accept you. (laughs) I'm like pork. I'm like bad vegetables or meat. (laughs) Unsanitary. You're out. You've gone off. Is that where the term pork barrel comes from? I think that is where the term pork barrel comes from, straight from my fat belly, and it's getting bigger and bigger these days. So what you guys do? you got summertime. you got summer, New Year's summer, you know, Christmas summer. Any good stories? Any fun? Andy, I'll start with you. Any fun? Yep. It's summer here and pretty COVID-free, so it's relatively normal, which is quite strange looking around the rest of the world. So we were able to go away and visit one of the tourist hotspots in New Zealand called Rotorua, and we had a good fun time doing a whole bunch of predominantly adrenaline sports, mountain biking, jet boating, go-kart, racing, luging, zip lining, clay pigeon wow. shooting, walking, awesome. and a bit of reading and relaxing with that as well. But I do have to ask you my one American question about New Zealand. Did you visit the Hobbit houses? That's where the Hobbit houses are, right? <laughs> well, it's close, actually. It's in a place called Matamata, which is actually where our Prime Minister was born. So she's a Hobbit? She's not a Hobbit, is she? <laughs> Probably more like an, an elf, actually, I think, in terms of... Yeah, um, she's, she's pretty smart and pretty cool and pretty Wisdom. And wisdom. Yeah. So, but no, we didn't go there this time. We've been there previously. It's interesting, really quiet at the moment because there's no... Americans visiting, but it's also quite expensive as well. So it's not something you do every year. 
That's a fantastic. That's awesome. So glad you got a chance to do that. And that's the difference with us. I mean, look at that. You guys have summertime with New Year's and Christmas. They could do so many cool things. So LG, what about you? Yeah, I went away, went to the beach, not as adventurous as Andy. I do feel like we're bragging slightly, no COVID and it's summertime. So I do it, do it. Hey, Is I it love a bit it. Obnoxious? You do? No, no, I love it. It's well deserved. Okay. We deserve every bit of that bragging. American and, and audience you deserve it. What do you mean, me? Well, I got the fun. I got the funniest story. So remember, we were talking about the hair dryer, the four hundred dollar Tyson hair dryer. Oh yeah, yes. Okay, so I so I know my oldest daughter wanted that four hundred dollar Tyson hair dryer, but my wife could not get herself to do it. Just there there was some type of mental block or something. So we gave her some cash, and the thought process was we're going to play a game to see you know if she would actually spend the cash herself on a $400 hair dryer. It became kind of a social experiment. But what we got what well, we got blindsided because the idiot boyfriend bought it for her instead. <laughs> After he found out that we didn't give it to her. Right. Oh, so it was a very interesting dynamic. I was completely she, bummed out. She Whoa. had a great Christmas then. Oh, she she manipulated the situation to to the riches. Right. Yeah, it's well, very That sounded like a win-win for her. Yeah, win-win for her. Uh, not for me. But anyways, now so the boyfriend gets a good graces and we look like Scrooges. Very, 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 very failed experiment. But that is what it's eat. We're supposed to experiment, so we learn and we fail. Now we know what Grinchy not to do. and Stoogie, eh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're going to the good stuff because you two are beating me up pretty well here. And the good <laughs> stuff is we're going to get into the topic. And I had lunch with Rick like about two, three months ago, and he brought this topic up as something that he's really – driving in his workplace and i was just like wow this is so cool so this topic is being a net exporter of talent and it's such an interesting topic because to me it was not intuitive and for most people it's not intuitive because in business we think competition i have to win at all costs meet big man <laughs> which in and of itself is misogynistic and a mess and that's why we're in a lot of the problems we're in but anyways so we think competition but with being a net exporter of talent you must believe in building and sharing not hoarding, not owning, and not controlling. Hmm. And, you know, Andy, you talk a lot about this and a lot of the other podcasts related to how you share being authentic to grow and be successful. There is a lot more to it than this. So let's just jump into introducing Rick, Rick Adamson, our guest, and jump into the conversation itself. So Rick, we get to listen to you. You got to listen to the banter. So now tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, David. Hello, Andy. And hello, Lauren. Thank you for having me today. Excited to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit about me. I, I currently work for Fidelity Investments, which is really the largest uh, firm I've ever uh, been a part of. I'm kind of a small to medium size uh, startup kind of guy for most of my career, mostly in the technology training space. And that's where David and I uh, crossed paths and got to spend some great years together doing some fun projects. I also have owned my own company during the years as well. That was a roller coaster ride with highest of highs and lowest of lows. But at uh, Fidelity, I've had some interesting positions here. One was a performance consultant for IT strategy, and then I went into cybersecurity awareness for a while. But now I'm in a role that I absolutely love. My official title is Career Center Innovator. And at Fidelity, we actually have an internal career center, which is a little bit 
different than what you would find on a university campus where, you know, they're focused on placing people in roles. We are focused on making sure our associates know the landscape of Fidelity and have resources, tools, and people to help them figure out what their next gig or their next role at Fidelity is going to be. So I have the pleasure of working with, I was 19,000 associates, I guess, last year in 2020, out of our 60,000 or so that we have globally, and working with them and hoping that their next move stays here with the firm. So we're all about moving our people into the next position where they can achieve success and maximize their value to the firm. Great introduction, and I'm sure that net exporter of talent ties into this nicely. And then let's get into our questions, and let's talk about this topic and how this topic helps you do your job at Fidelity and helps Fidelity be more successful. So give us the high-level overview of what it means to be a net exporter of talent. Yeah, well, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It really is a simple concept, David, that many of us, I think, we overthink it or we make it more complex than it really needs to be. You know, much like a net exporter of goods, you are producing more for others than you are consuming for yourself. And that's really the definition for a net exporter of talent. You just want to apply that to being the best manager that you can be and make sure that you are producing more talent than what you are taking in. And what you're taking in, you're converting to talent that is going to be with you for some period of time, and you're going to maximize that value, but you want to set them up for success because the time will come where they move on. I do have a lot of follow-ups on that one, but I really want to start with Lauren and Andy on this because I sure thought I think they have some good questions. I know they have some questions and thoughts as well. So um, Lauren, to start with you, any examples or thoughts you want to share? Yeah, that that was a great introduction. Thanks, Rick, for that. I think this is a really interesting topic. Uh, And there are obviously two schools of thinking when it comes to recruitment. You know, the first being that there's real value in being an importer of talent. And that's something that we're more familiar with. In that context, you can gain new insight, experience, diversity. And I think also in many instances, you can avoid some of the embedded unconscious biases that we have when we've been in a company for a, a long time. But the other school of thought is being an exporter of talent, as Rick talked about. And I do think there's value in both. My view is that when we invest in our people, we invest in our businesses. And that does two things. It creates a culture where people want to stay and it attracts new talent. So exporting talent internally has a lot of advantages. The candidates a known quantity and presumably has the right fit for the company. And because they know the company really well, that learning curve can be a lot shorter. And of course, for the business, it cuts down recruitment costs. And I think there are lots of examples of companies that do this well. But from my experience, and this was going back a few years now, so it might be a bit different, but my old stomping ground of Victoria University used to do this very well. They seem to be really good at nurturing talent and Maybe because it was a university, there was a real sense of being part of a community that people wanted to contribute to. What about you, Andy? Yeah, I haven't seen that universally. My experience is very much pockets of... So whenever I hear organisations talk about talent programmes and so on, I think there's a lot of good intentions that come out from central offices. But my experience has always been that it really comes down to the mindset of the specific manager and how they see their role and how they treat their staff. So I think organizations can certainly shape things to help create the expectation that that's the role of a manager is to help 
nurture your staff and treat them that way. And it can certainly help, but it ultimately comes down to the manager themselves and how they act on a day-to-day basis. So I've seen and had experiences where I have had uh, good support from managers and seen other managers treat their staff in the same way. But also, but I haven't seen that universally. And I think the same applies to organizations. You know, Rick, it's funny because you and I experienced the, the exodus of talent at Global Knowledge. It's almost like it was 2001, the, the right. dot-com right. bust, Global Knowledge starts falling apart, leadership doesn't know what's going on. And next thing you know, there's 20, 30 people that exit this company and about 12 new companies that sprouted up because of that. Your company being one of them, the company I had being one of them. So it's like you and I know what happens if you don't do this right. Right. Well, also, that is also a result of doing it right as well, right? Okay, so they didn't go on to perform at Global Knowledge, but we put them in positions or we enabled them to maneuver into positions of success, to have the confidence, to have the wherewithal, to know exactly what to do to remain successful. So a net exporter of talent, while you would prefer it to be in your firm, doesn't always happen in your firm. Sometimes it'll be external, but at least it's that quality of individual that spent time with you learning and performing on a high performing team that enabled them to have the confidence and the skill set to move on and remain uh, successful. You know, it's interesting. The other thing I thought about from a business perspective or an economic perspective is that it should also tie not only to the net exporter of talent, but exports and imports could be of equal. Like I'm going to I'm going to import this I'm gonna, and you're going to export that. And it's kind of seen somewhat on the ledger of being equal. But what you want is a net exporter to actually export the talent with more value. It's like That's you right. took it, you grew it and you increased the value of that person, both for themselves and the value that they can monetize the company themselves. They That's work. Right. That's right. And I think, you know, as leaders and managers, we're taught that we need to build a high performing team. And Lauren said, you know, if you have a good recruiting process and you can get the right talent and diversity and everything in the door, that's great. But and as you build that team, you will got to keep that team challenged, right? So you, you build this high performing team, you set your goals, you start achieving your goals. And, you know, oftentimes when you have uh, a high performing team, you know, it's going to result in all sorts of rewards and acknowledgement, but then managers don't finish the job a lot of the times. So what they end up doing is they panic and try to figure out how can I sustain this? And, and that leads to the behaviors that you mentioned earlier, the hoarding of the talent. They fall into a trap where they don't communicate as effectively. They start keeping their team on a need to know basis. And then, you know, your trust starts to decay. You know, eventually the inevitable happens. And one of the members of the top performing team is going to leave and or even worse they, they leave the company i mean face it at some point in time either they leave on their own you're going to ask them to leave or the company's going to ask them to leave so somehow or another one of those three things are going to happen and what you want to do as the manager is make sure that you have the most value while they were on your team come out of that that employee and make sure that they are in a position to move forward and add value hopefully in a new role in the firm Lauren and Andy, before we go to question two and get a little bit more specific, any follow-ups or thoughts off of that initial discussion around what this is? I really like Rick's comment. I think just making sure that you do the right thing, um, irrespective of consequence, is an important factor in being a people leader. Andy, anything from you? Just 
Yeah, I'm just reinforcing what just exactly what we just those last points. I think it will come down to the leader and their beliefs and mindset, and I think it's how the organisation helps shape those and the, the expected behaviours that can really make a difference. You might find this funny, David. You know, at, at Fidelity, and I'm going to use financial uh, services uh, analogy. Our our uh, CEO Abby Johnson and our head of uh, HR Bill Ackerman, they almost always include in any quarterly address or monthly or town hall or anything they say. They always talk about their employees. They call them associates. Are the true assets of the firm. So when I meet with managers, I tell them, "Do you manage people? You have direct reports? Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, then you're a portfolio manager. You've heard our CEO tell us that." our uh, associates are our most valuable assets. That means some of the most valuable assets of the firm have been entrusted to your care. That means you need to maximize the value of your portfolio. So when you look at your portfolio, are you getting the most that you can out of everybody? Are you spending the time? You know, Are you doing the things that a portfolio manager does? Are you setting those goals? Are you reviewing your monthly statements? Are you having open dialogues? Are you, you know, raising your hand and having a career conversation with those associates so that you can be on the same same wavelength. Because at the end of the day, you are a portfolio manager and you've got to make sure they're getting the most out of that out of that portfolio. You just don't put it in the corner and hope that it appreciates. Well said. Great economics. And later on I want to play the economics of you bring somebody in, you grow their value, and you be a net exporter, and you find out that person becomes a VP of sales. They mm-hmm. move three levels, and how much the company saved not having to recruit those diff- three different levels. Yeah. So let's dig into the specifics now. One of the specifics that I've read about and you've talked to me about is this idea of internally marketing a member of the team that you lead. So what's that all about? How do you go about internally marketing a member of your team? Yeah, so I think you know you have to be on the same wavelength as as your team in order for you to be able to do that well right so if you had a high if you have a high performing team you have a loyal following right because you're achieving goals people are feeling good they're being recognized and rewarded you've instilled confidence within them you you care about them their goals their skill sets their personal growth and the way that you know what that is for everybody on your team is you have these open conversations on a regular basis so you know what they're thinking they know what you're thinking and here's the key thing you know the timing Right, because that's the that's the surprise that happens if somebody comes in and resigns. It's like, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. Right. But if you have that open conversation, you can plan on what that timing is. Maybe you have a project and it's got a bonus tied to it at the end of the year. And somebody says, Well, I'm thinking about doing something else. Hey, well, that's great. And I'll support you on that. But you know what? You and I need to see this project done to the end. It's one more notch we can put on our CV or resume. And we're going to be ritually rewarded for it. And you have my commitment that once we achieve that, I'm going to help you move forward and figure out what that next role is here in the firm where you can take on more responsibility. And when you have conversations and agreements like that, that happens, it allows you to easily advocate for them in the firm because you've got a winning track record that you can talk to your peers or other leaders in the firm about the, the talent that you have. And you can tell them, look, I think they've learned all that they're going to learn. I think I've maximized the value uh, of them in this 
this particular position, they've got more to give. And I think, you know, you should consider them for your open role that hopefully has more responsibility for them. Interesting. So Andy, your thoughts, have you ever done this? Has anyone done this for you? You have any follow-up thoughts on the concept in general? Yeah. I mean, I suppose, fortunately, I've always had that as my own sort of personal philosophy with privilege that I've had in managing people. And I've always thought about it that way as well, that you've got the responsibility, you know, to some degree, to a greater degree of the lives of, you know, over people you lead. So with that, there's quite a heavy responsibility. And I think I've always had this view that part of that is to, to really understand and treat the people individually and understand them as much as I can in terms of what are their strengths, um, what are their interests and you know what are their aspirations and as a leader to try and continually to find opportunities training work assignments to help grow them and and in many cases i've all been quite aware and been quite deliberate in accepting that the person's best opportunity or at least if you know best opportunity for them to try is to do that outside of my team so i have been quite knowingly encouraging them to develop skills and take opportunities that stretch them into where they want to go. Sometimes with the view that maybe that's not necessarily their best opportunity, but they have to find that out in the same way that, you know, you, your kids, you know, you encourage them to do as many things as, as you want, but some of them are not necessarily going to work out. Well, I've always had the same view with staff that, you know, they'll find that out and they'll learn and grow. And your role is, to help provide them the, the opportunities to do so. Very interesting. Lauren, what says you? I think in terms of marketing a team member, it's all about championing people first and foremost. And to your point, I think it can be difficult for some because when you've got a really talented person on your team, of course you want to keep them. But likewise, I think we do see performance when people grow and when they're challenged. So it's really important that we don't hold them back but rather we help them to realize their potential and that might be within the company or that might be external. So in terms of my personal experience with this, I think it's important to first work with your team members to understand what their ambitions are, kind of linking to what Rick said earlier. And from there, you can work on their professional development, building skills, whether that's technical, um, business acumen or, or otherwise to help them get there. And it's also about creating opportunities for them to grow. So giving greater responsibility and autonomy and then in time championing them for other roles. So my experience has typically been promoting talent from within my team and also actively looking to bring on board internal talent from other teams. But I've also had experience of supporting my team members to go for roles uh, in other teams. A particular example that comes to mind was in a previous role, I led a um, corporate marketing team and we'd recruited someone to lead our marketing communications. And it became quite clear working with that team member over time that one of his strengths was in corporate communications. So I started finding projects that aligned with his talents and his personal aspirations and helped him gain exposure more widely. And then in time, he went into a corporate comms role and was very successful. So by providing a bridge from one role to the other, he was able to broaden his skill set and really importantly, stay with the company for longer instead of going elsewhere. Stay at the company longer instead of going elsewhere. I think that's a lot of what Mr. Adamson's 
been talking about. I love that theme. And I start thinking about this in terms of words. Hey, um, I'm talking to my peer director. Hey, did you know Bob did that? I didn't do that. Bob did that. Hey, did you know Sally was the one that worked on this and did this, this, and this? Yeah, I never realized it, but you know, Sally has these type of skills. You might want to look at that into the future. Oh my God, Jim over here. So I, one of the things here is impressing upon yourself to point out the things that the team does and recognize the team for that. The individuals, not just say it's a team anymore. I mean, it's all a team accomplishment. And then break down some of those tasks and present where people shine within that construct. That's part of the internal marketing aspect of them. Instead of, instead of always saying my team this or my team did that. Yeah, the team did this. And then, you know, but Jill specifically worked on that, which is really impressive. That's a skill you might be able to use into the future. David, I think what you're talking about is you want to highlight transferable skills that, is, uh, that employees have that they can bring to other teams. So I, you know, it's it's those transferable skills that you want to keep in the in the forefront of their mind as they're looking at potential moves, or if you're trying to market them, what is the value that they would bring to another team? Yeah, I love that concept of transferable skills. We'll we'll put that in the backlog and maybe bring that out if we have some more time. So Rick, we'll talk about talking here. Yeah, no, this is good. Very good. I love it. And then we're going to talk next about stretch assignments. And for me personally, stretch assignments has made my career. I mean, you've certainly given me stretch assignments in our times together, and I've had stretch assignments in a lot of other places as well. So from your perspective and what you're seeing, how do stretch assignments help team members grow and gain visibility? And then are there any tips or tricks to properly manage stretch assignments so they don't go afoul? Yeah, so I think Lauren hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier. There's there's three things that we you know that we focus on at Fidelity when we talk about career vitality, and that's either you're learning new skills, whether they be technical or soft, taking and gaining new experiences. So taking on a stretch assignment, doing something that is not part of your current job, but may might be related and stretches you to actually experience or, or give you an opportunity to demonstrate those new skills that you've just learned. And then the other is the mobility, finding another role in the firm that would be your next move. I think the stretch assignment does a lot of things. One, it gives the associate the or the employee the confidence that they can actually perform the, the task or the job and sets them up. If it, Again, if it's one where you can shine a little light on them, you're not a mushroom management, manager where you keep people in the dark and feed them, you know what, but you shine a little light on them and, and give them exposure in the firm. I think that helps their brand. And I, you know, I obviously as a manager, it helps your brand when you become known for the type of quality that you produce in the people of your team that have gone on to do other great things in the firm. For for the employee, it also gives them the opportunity to learn a different department. If, you, if the stretch goal is one that you're doing in collaboration with another team where you think they might fit in well, and you, you know you may be ha- you may assign that employee to participate in that as a, as your representative on that committee or that team. In which case, it gives them further uh, insight into other parts of the company. All right. What says you, Andy? Well, yeah, I've always thought that stretch assignments are really quite important. I mean, as you know, Dave, from the work we've, in things we've talked about from the HIFITS adaptive leadership approach that, you know, getting people into or out of their sort of comfort zone into the learning zone is where they're hopefully going to be at their best as long as you can moderate that. But I think that's really the, 
key point is how can you moderate the conditions to allow that to, to not get too hot. So I think when I think about that, I'm talking about, you know, do we provide people the time and pace to learn on top of all of their other existing responsibilities, or do we just heap them added things on uh, and hope? Sometimes some people cope with that. Most people struggle and understandably. So I think I look at it from the point of view of supporting them. It's understanding that when people move into these stretch assignments, they're going to be learning, they're going to be struggling. You need to give them time um, and space and support and accept that mistakes will happen, allow those mistakes to happen, celebrate them if necessary, and help them try and remove some of the self-talk that will probably normally happen, which is, I'm no good um, at this, or it's too hard, or, you know, it's not me. And these are normal things that happen when people start learning something. It's about how do you encourage people through those periods to get to a point where they're actually comfortable and get better at it and get out you know, through the other side to be good. That's the role of the leader is to help try and engineer the, the environment to support that. And that you know, takes time, energy, and patience. I like how you're talking about this from the, the techniques to not run afoul. And one of the primary techniques you're talking about there, Andy, is that you got to manage the mental health of the person in the stretch assignment because there are going to be times when they hit a wall. It's, you're, it's a stretch assignment. They're not going to have all the answers. They're not going to have the skill. It's going to be painful. And I love the fact you talked about regulating the tension of the learning. That's so true. That's well, I mean, that's really interesting. And that's part of it is that I don't think managers do a good job of managing the potential of it going afoul as well. And there were some good ideas there. LG, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as Andy said, people tend to learn most when they're at the fringes of their comfort level. The way that I like to give a stretch assignment is to talk through the objectives of the project with a team member. So they're really clear on kind of what we want to achieve and why. And once they've got the what and why down, they can work on the how. I'd also add, I think communication is really important with stretch assignments. You can't just assign a task and disappear. You have to kind of give the team member the right kind of headroom to succeed. My view is that taking a coaching stance can be quite useful so that the ownership and accountability sticks with the team member, but they still have adequate support. And I think importantly, once the project's done, you you need to celebrate success. So you might do a retro and identify areas that could be approved upon, but make sure that you do celebrate. And I'd say do it loudly and do it widely so others can hear about it. Yeah, cheer someone on. They're growing in the company. You get to keep that great person and they can add more value and help you make your goals and your bonuses and help you increase the salary and the profit of the company. I like those sounds and those words. Mr. Rick, can I just make a point? I think the only point that I'd add to that is that not all stretch assignments will be success as well. So, well, necessarily from how you might originally have defined it. So I think that's part of it as well, accepting that sometimes people will not necessarily come through that and find that's what they want to do or who they are. So I think that's good. But as long as we can celebrate what we've learned from that, that's, you know, that's probably the almost the most important thing rather than necessary pure success. I like this because that I think stretch assignments has a lot to do with this being a, being a good, strong net exporter of talent, giving the opportunity for people to see, like Andy talked about, if they're not good at something or it's not quite their thing or as we're talking about, it is their thing. But now we're getting to the hardest question. So we got one big question, and then we'll get to the rapid fire section. So the big question is my biggest challenge with this thing. I'm a pessimist. I'm a Grinch. 
So my grinchiness is the fact that people are unruly, challenging, pig-headed. So will people, will managers be open to the concept and be willing and excited to watch a team member move on to bigger and better things within the firm? And can managers embrace this without hoarding? So Rick, what have you seen? Is there a growing value within the organization? What's going on? Is this happening? I mean, how do you teach it? How do you break down some of the barriers? Well, it's interesting because, you know, as we look at kind of mobility rates in the firm, we're encouraging our employees to, you know, try to be in their roles two to three years and then move on to the next one. And oh, by the way, that includes you, Mr. Manager or business manager. You know, we're looking at seat time. Now, there's some roles that require deep subject matter expertise and are, you know, are not the type that are come up for mobility movement that often, but a majority of them are. So for us, it's really making sure that we are getting the maximum value out of both the employees and the managers. Now, are managers doing this? Well, as you can imagine, some are and some aren't. Uh, I would say majority of them are, have gotten on board because they understand the, the value proposition of them providing value to the firm and by hoarding talent and keeping them at a certain level and not maximizing what they're getting out of them, they're not doing the company any good. And that will come to light at some point in time and not shine well for them. And again, if you have a team that you're not that you're not advocating for and you're not getting the most out of them, they will leave. I, I, I'm a sports guy. I use sports analogies. So I think any professional sports team, when you look at the composition of their roster, you have free agents, you have veterans, you have rookies, and you have utility players. Those are kind of the four general categories that you have your all-stars are typically your free agents and if they're not getting what they're gonna what they want they're gonna move they're gonna walk so as a manager how do you keep them satisfied right your veterans they are they may be trying to coast on you a little bit so as a manager are you pairing them up with the rookies to make sure that they're doing uh, knowledge transfer and skills transfer for some of the up-and-coming team people on the team the rookies are going to be looking to make their names set their brand, get out there, be recognized, show that they can can do the job. Are you pairing them up with the veterans and the and the free agents? Because at some point in time, that free agent walks, what are you going to do? You don't have another necessarily free agent head approved to take that to take that role. Somebody's got to step up. So is it a rookie or is it a veteran? Or is it one of the utility players that, that really adds value by playing in a multiple of different positions on the team and allows you to maintain Maintain your high-performing team should something happen. And oh, by the way, not all managers uh, have the same. Well, no manager has the same roster year over year, so that's a fact of life. And I think it's it's applicable to business. And oh, by the way, not every manager uh, gets to keep their job if their team doesn't win a championship. So at the end of the day, are are as a manager, are you are you winning championships or are you just a cellar dweller in the standings? <laughs> some interesting comments there and some ways to connect. That was kind of cool. Who wants to start? Andy or Lauren, which one do you want to start on this topic? I think the the opportunity, let's put it that way, is for the, the senior leadership and the values of the organization to really promote and demonstrate this, you know, literally and publicly. And then hopefully that permeates to so that enough individual managers not only believe it but do it and so that becomes a more pervasive mindset amongst the organization 
in that you're going to have the normal range of those that will and those that will take a bit longer. 33, and 33, 33. You got it. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, but it's got to be encouraged from the top, I think, and supported. You know, obviously what Rick's doing in his organization is a fantastic initiative and investment that Fidelity have made in supporting leaders to do that. So that's, you know, how organizations can make that real is actually showing and investing in it and then supporting people to and encouraging people to do it. So I think that, but it's all going to come down to the mindset of, of the manager, but you can help guide that to my mind to to do the right thing by their people, which should always be about developing their strengths in whatever which way that that goes. Hopefully, to export them to maybe grow within the team or or outside in another part of the organization, and, and possibly even outside of the organization. But if you take that sort of strengths based approach, people first approach, then you know the outcome will be whatever's best for that person. Lauren, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Andy made a really great point that it often comes down to managers. But as we know, there's a strong link between culture and leadership. And not to echo the same points, but if we're motivated by doing the right thing by people, then I think it's easy. If we're self-serving, it's hard, right? So when it comes down to it, if people have all but mastered their role, then they may become complacent or they might become bored. And I don't think we want that for our team members, and I don't think we want that for our company either. So our job, as I see it, is to help our team members to fulfill their potential. And as Andy said, that could be in the company, or it might be outside of the company, if there are no clear pathways for growth. So instead of having us all comment rapid fire, since we just have a few more minutes here, I want Rick to throw out his thoughts, and then you know we can kind of summarize our thoughts at the end. So Rapid fire here, Mr. Adamson, any tips and tricks for weekly team member meetings? Sure. I think as you're doing your status report, or if you do sort of everybody goes around and gives a summary, you can ask them, what is something new that you're uh, working on that you're learning or a course that you're taking or took or, or pursuing maybe a degree, you know, what classes you're taking, just a quick update on something new that you're learning or doing that keeps you sharp in your role. So any thoughts on growth planning for the team? Yeah, well, I think that's where it's an individual conversation. So I don't know, I think Andy was talking about it earlier. It's open communication with your team and making sure that you're meeting with them on a regular basis. Back to what I said earlier, you don't want any surprises, right? You want to make sure you're staying on top of the timing. So they're they're excited about what they're learning and doing, I hope. And, and you as the manager are celebrating that and keeping abreast of it and listening for potential stretch assignments or... Uh, uh, next moves when the time comes. Growth planning, one week, every week, every two weeks, every month, once a quarter, never, once a year? I think once a month is probably good. That's, I mean, quarterly is kind of the standard with my firm, but the managers that do this well are meeting with their associates at least monthly to talk about where they are and how they're, how they're doing as far as making progress. In building a relationship as a net exporter of talent, how close is being too close or is that a thing in the past? So a relationship is, you know, 
knowing your employee and them knowing you, it's all about trust, right? So I think you have to use good judgment as to, you know, how far you take that relationship. I think they're all different. Some employees may need a little bit more care and feeding. Others just need to know what the goal is and that you're endorsing them. So I think it's on an individual basis as to how far you go. How should you continue to support and grow an exported team member, somebody that's moved beyond you? Oh, well, if that has happened, I mean, that strengthens your brand and they should be part of your network. And you should start thinking about what can you learn from them because they are in a new team. They're doing something new. You should check in on them. They should check in on you. And uh, you continue that networking relationship so that it becomes a mutual learning uh, relationship. Last question. I could see LinkedIn potentially doing this, having, you know, you can tell people what their talents are. You can actually give them plus minus for whether they're a net exporter of talent. So what's the best way to advertise objectively that you are a net exporter of talent? At this funny. Point? Yeah, it's funny. I have seen it on LinkedIn because, you know, there's a skills section that people endorse you for. And I have seen somebody put uh, talent exporter or uh, talent development and net exporter on there and have been endorsed. That's one way to do it. I think another way to do it is you just call it out as a bullet or you certainly could do it on your resume or CV if you're going for a leadership position, but be ready to have some numbers and metrics and things yep. to talk to. It's it's one thing to write it on there, but you better be able to give the backstory. And you know, if you are successful at this, your brand will speak for itself. Other managers in the firm are going to know that the talent that they get from you is going to be solid, that they're coming from a good team. They know if they're getting a high-performing associate or employee that's moving over to their team, they can set the bar a little bit higher and challenge them as they come into that role. So I think, you know, you can advertise it, but quite frankly, it's better when others advertise for you, when you build that brand ambassador that, that takes that story forward from you. All right. So Andy, any thoughts on any of the rapid fire questions and the final summary before we log out? Rick answered them very well. I think just the probably the final point that I think summarizes how I see this is that if you think about the shift in terms of the mindset of a leader, and I'm not saying that everyone has had this, but from an organizational point of view, there was certainly, you know, if we go back to the 80s and 90s, I think there was almost a view of an extractive view of an employee relationship in a lot of cases, like what can we get out of our employees? Whereas I think now, you know, it's very much now should be more directed around more of a farmer sort of thinking in terms of how do I prepare the ground, you know, and make the environment for the people the best it can be so I can get the best, you know, the organization and they will be the best they can, you know, best they can be. So it's a shift in mindset that that goes with that from an extractive to an additive approach. Lauren, your last thoughts, anything on the rapid fire or any last parting summary thoughts? No, just to echo what Andy said, I really like the the farmer analogy and nurturing without expectation, I think, is a shifting mindset. And I really like what Rick had said about being an exporter of talent and having your team do their advertising for you. Great comments and really great to have Rick on the podcast. So thank you for joining us today, Rick. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, she's being extra nice. Any last summary for you, Rick, before we sign off? Any last parting thoughts? 
Well, I mean, if you tr do treat your employees as uh, company assets, then treat them like the crown jewels, right? Get, get the most value you can out of them and uh, make sure you're setting them up for success and they're paying back the favor to you. Man, great job. And with that, we close out episode 20, being a net exporter of talent. Please rate, review, subscribe, and we look forward to having you on episode 21. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Better Work Project. If you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. If you have specific suggestions or ideas for future podcasts, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Continue to fight the good fight. We'll see you the next time on the Better Work Project. Thank you.